I'm in it and a lot of people who really believe in technology are in it long term, right? Mm-hmm. This volatility for us in terms of short-term gains mm-hmm. and ups and downs and the price of Bitcoin or Ethereum or Ether um, is meaningless because we are committed. We are bullish. We are long-term on these uh, currencies. And we know over time it will increase in value just because ultimately more and more people are going to be using mm-hmm. those networks, more and more people are going to be demanding these type of cryptocurrencies and the value will be derived from that demand, from that network uh, effects when you have more and more people using these uh, platforms in the long run. That's Boston College professor Anna Karpovsky on crypto assets. And this is Phoebe Drummond with Webcast. Anna Karpowski is a professor at the Boston College School of Management. She teaches advanced data analysis courses from data visualization to a course on the fintech revolution, and most importantly, the class where we first met, digital technologies. As one of my first professors freshman year, she left a huge impact and impression on me on the possibility of putting tech at the forefront of finance, and her work and research in that space has only grown since I was in her class. In my eyes, she is now a true thought leader on the crypto space, and I was so excited she had the time to come onto Webcast this week and dissect some broad parts of the emerging crypto markets. Thank you for having me here. So excited to talk about crypto, one of my favorite subjects. Yes, of course. And when I think about who I want to have on the podcast and what topics I want to talk about, I think first to what I'm learning in my classes, what I'm hearing in the news, what I'm interested in. And crypto just checks all those boxes. But it's also something where digestible information I feel like it's hard to come by because one it's ever emerging two it's highly technical three there's just a lot of moving parts what you think one day changes the next day and so I was so glad to have a resource here someone that I knew who is following these things understanding these things and can just touch very broadly on like the need to know that if I walk away from this what do I need to understand about crypto to have a conversation and to to feel like I left this podcast with something. So I'm going to pass the first question to you on that broad scale. What is cryptocurrency? How did they develop? Take that any direction you feel possible. Sure. Uh, cryptocurrency is definitely emerging still technology as well as emerging concept. The idea is that we have all those digital assets nowadays, most of finance and most of what we do is digital in nature. And uh, these particular digital assets live on a special technology, which is called blockchain. So this crypto space has this new envision of the basic infrastructure that underlies a lot of our finance, but also this infrastructure that could really change internet and other uh, existing infrastructure in various industries. So definitely exciting. And I find it so important to uh, know this stuff. As you say, it's very technical, but you hear all those buzzwords, you hear all this ongoing movement in the space, mm-hmm. uh, but a lot of people don't fully understand that and don't really necessarily want to understand that this point yeah. because it's so emerging. And but what are the benefits of crypto? Was there what was the need to develop this? What what, what are we gaining from being on a decentralized ledger versus 
versus cash or normal debit transactions? So there are a couple of things here, but if we think about just the structure of today's banking systems, it really hasn't changed in the past 150 years. So if we think about things moving to digital space, we do talk about fintech as a set of technologies that now support this banking system and financial system. However, they really support the legacy structure of financial system and banks. So, um, it hasn't really changed the underlying structure. And there's definitely needs to be a change uh, because there's a lot of inefficiencies in the financial system and there are high costs. And of course, when you have such existing shortcomings of any industry, then innovation will arise to capitalize on those inefficiencies. So cryptocurrencies are really stepping in to mm. fill in this gap of innovation in financial systems, in banking system in particular, but also not just kind of put a new shining cover on the financial system, but really change it from ground zero and rebuild and improve, hopefully, the existing infrastructure. And you said something really interesting that I, I haven't heard before, that you see fintech as supportive of the traditional banking system and that they work the same way, where I feel like a lot of people and a lot of media that I've listened to or, or have read see the two as budding heads. So do you so do you actually see crypto as the, I guess, opponent to Wall Street? Absolutely. Um, what crypto provides, which perhaps other fintech or technologies finance have not, is decentralization. That has been the really underlying reason for cryptocurrency and an underlying uh, structure of blockchain mm -hmm. to begin with. Um, and the existing fintech technologies that I say sort of the new shining cover mm -hmm. of the uh, finance really don't change the fact that banks are banks, right? They're still central controlling um, entities. And that infrastructure itself creates those inefficiencies because when you have a centralized party or entity to begin with, uh, it comes with inefficiencies because you always have the intermediary mm. that's going to charge you or upcharge you, charge you a fee of some sort, right? Um, they have control of your transactions or at least censorship of your transactions. So all these uh, issues come with both inefficiency and also failures, right? Because mismanagement and corruption are part of centralization as well. That problem of financial systems have not been solved by existing fintechs. So when I say crypto is really changing the infrastructure rather than just supporting and improving the existing structure, it really changes this whole centralization, mm. uh, which is a big component and big, in my eyes, uh, advantage of the current financial systems. And how does cryptocurrencies and the blockchain perform the same functions as these centralized places without like you were saying an authority making decisions what like how does the decentralized nature of it work 
bread. So imagine I want to pay out of my bank account something to you, Phoebe. In that sense, um, what I'm going to do, I'm going to write you a check in a traditional way, in traditional sort of banking system. And that check, I will physically give it to you. But for you to really get the funds, you have to go to your bank, which then has to probably charge you a fee, perhaps. Okay somewhere right then that bank has to contact my bank to transfer the funds and maybe there's also fee associated with that transaction and only then if they approve if they you know uh, authenticate us make sure i'm the one who i claim to be you're the one who claim to be mm. then they obviously gonna then sort of get those funds to you that transaction where i just want to give you money right should not be first of all that complicating should not take sometimes up to three days if we're talking about international transactions that transaction should not be also costly in terms of fees i mean if we're talking about international transaction there's also exchange rate that happens there too because we're now working in different currencies across borders across countries so that is again that's the problem of the fact that we have this intermediary that we have to go through because that's the structure of any kind of especially big payments which are not cash again it could be also electronic but electronic saves this call going to the bank perhaps yeah. but it doesn't fees. the fees and the bank and the authorization and clearing houses those structures are in place and they're not going to be removed right if we're still in the same uh, system and this reminds me and this isn't even a follow-up question but we're learning about indexing right now in my finance or my investments class. And we listened to a Freakonomics podcast about like moving from active investing to passive investing and how that really started to take off after the financial crisis, because a lot of people began to see some of the, like you're saying, inefficiencies in the banking system. Do you think that after the financial crisis, the past 10 years is obviously when crypto has really taken off, but do you think it's in part due to people understanding the transparency of what was really going on behind all these transactions for the first time? Absolutely. And I think it's also just the whole drive. And I would say not just for crypto, but fintech in general, Mm -hmm. where with financial crisis, a couple of things happen. First of all, there has been lost in trust in financial systems. Mm -hmm. A lot of, especially younger generations sort of who've never really been kind of a you know, loyalty to a particular bank or had a bank account for so many years that I felt I touched a particular bank, uh, saw that, you know, you can't trust those banks. You can't trust those big financial institutions. The government is going to bail them out when they're in trouble, but you as a consumer sort of become the loser of this um, uh, infrastructure. And also with a financial crisis, there are a lot of people who lost jobs. Mm. And again, not the ones who have been with the company for many, many years. Those are expertise that banks needed. But usually the younger generation mm. that forced a lot of people into sort of startups, into new ideas, into creative ways ways to solve the existing problems. So I definitely think that financial crisis really pushed the movement and definitely shifted the trust in terms of mistrust in financial systems. Mm -hmm. 
And that's something really interesting you said about like the cultural aspect of it too. I, um, someone I was talking to was talking about how they still, they kept their first credit card and it was so sentimental to them. <laughs> and I, I probably looked at them like they had seven heads. So that was just interesting that you brought up how younger people like don't view it as such a nostalgic thing to open a bank account or like aren't as we're not, I don't think people my age are as brand loyal in general. Like <laughs> if something new comes out, that's cheaper and Hopefully now I can say something that's newer, cheaper, and greener. Like mm-hmm. I'll go, I'll go buy there, I'll go shop there instead. So that I like that you mentioned that. Um, so a main question that I had, and I know a lot of people have, is how is Bitcoin and these cryptocurrencies created? What are they based on if it's not? And it's it's a very loose generalization to say that the dollar is still based on like a precious metal or or a, a fixed um, a fixed asset, I guess. But, yeah. What is what is um, a digital asset based on? Where does it derive its value from? Um, again, there are different types of digital assets, even in the crypto space. Um, but in my view, and the sort of value derived out of those tokens, out of those cryptocurrencies, for me, are utility tokens. Okay. So for me, the value exists within the network, within the system, within the utility, within the infrastructure that they support. So the Bitcoin value for me derived purely from the fact that you're part of that Bitcoin network and then you could use that Bitcoin to you or do the peer-to-peer exchange. When we talk about Ethereum and Ether, uh, then the utility of Ether, that local cryptocurrency, to me, is the ability to run uh, smart contracts, ability to develop uh, decentralized apps, dApps um, in a space. So uh, again, and I'm not in finance, so my mm-hmm. perspective is still comes from technology. My perspective of value comes from the value of the network and the platforms and the product that these technologies build, rather than sort of market evaluation in terms of pricing and in terms mm-hmm. of trading these cryptocurrencies in um, in trading platforms. So in terms of technology, then, what do you see is driving the price? So a lot of it is speculative. And in terms of those pricing volatility, uh, any sort of minor or major events in the space or outside of crypto space drive sort of this trading values of tokens. Uh, But um, I'm in it, and a lot of people who really believe in technology are in it long term, right? Mm -hmm. This volatility for us in terms of short term gains and ups and downs and the price of Bitcoin or Ethereum or Ether um, is meaningless because we are committed. We are bullish. We are long term on these uh, currencies. And we know over time it will increase in value just because ultimately more and more people are going to be using those networks, more and more people are going to be demanding these type of cryptocurrencies and the value will be derived from that demand, from that network. Uh, effects when you have more and more people using these uh, platforms in the long run. This um like this reminds me of GameStop a little bit. I feel mm-hmm. like cryptocurrencies have sort of taken on like a gamification effect in culture. Mm-hmm. Do you see that being problematic or for people like, as you said, who are in it for the long run, you can kind of just wash that off. Like what are the responsibilities or the lack therefore of responsibility sort of gamifying something that is so volatile? Well, we 
have to remember this is still the frontier this is still the wild west of you know mm, of technology i love that um and um this comes from bankless another podcast i love to listen to um and this is the terms that they use in crypto space because um it's still very new i mean a lot of people who get into crypto and sort of get into you know the details and they feel like i'm too late to this game right Mm. (laughs) because think about when the bitcoin started when ethereum was just kind of at the realm of its development a lot of people think oh i'm too late to the game (laughs) no you're not we're still at the early early stages of these developments and therefore yes it's very very risky um you know (laughs) you lose you lose in this Mm. market a lot of times because a lot of projects fail because a lot of scams are out there uh, and to really figure out which one is the one that's going to take off is still impossible mm-hmm. um, but at the same time i would say that even though there's that feeling of you know riskiness and there's people who really into taking risk and high have high payoff are in the market it doesn't matter those still attracted to this market mm. these are still uh, people who will get into it, experience it, it, and hopefully find value outside of just this, you know, um, uh, short-term gains mm-hmm. or high yields that you could get in the market versus traditional. So, uh, I'm I'm excited to possibility of anybody and everybody mm-hmm. trying this because that's the only way this market really going to take off. And how do we get that audience? <laughs> Almost to be probably less important because at this point it's so early in the game yeah and you said something interesting too you said you weren't sure we don't know yet which one will take off and from what i understand different cryptocurrencies sort of serve different purposes where some of them are better at transactions like compared to even bitcoin what do you think or what do other experts think is going to be the purpose of crypto assets? Is it going to be for exchanging, like buying a coffee in the morning, or is it going to be to park your money and just watch it grow in like the long-term investment scheme? So for most who are in the space, um, crypto is really for every single possible financial service, lending and borrowing, (laughs) uh, insurance even. Um, So stopping at just peer-to-peer payments is too uh, narrow of the focus. And in fact, it's probably still not probably the most important one because you know making national currency to be crypto is still so far away and to some extent perhaps not the right uh solution Mm -hmm. to most of the economies to be but um crypto in terms of really changing as i said like trading right why do we need brokers in the middle why Mm -hmm. do we need somebody who control or choose for us where to invest and how to balance our fund portfolios. Um, you know, again, lending and borrowing. Why should there be a bank in the middle if I want to lend you money and you want to borrow money? So for that, I would say there's a lot of great possibilities of what crypto and in general blockchain could provide for a lot of existing infrastructures. And what are some potential um 
hurdles of mass adoption. I know that there has been concerns about environmental purposes, like we we're talking about before, volatility risk. What what do you think is holding it back from everyone jumping on ship? Um, couple things. Um, first of all, definitely the technical aspect, mm. as you mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, that it's still very techie driven. And to fully trust this autonomous systems, these codes, um, there should be some comfort and trust in developers. So if you think in terms of where trust is shifting, where you might not trust financial institutions, at least you could trust the fact that, you know, there's a government that regulates mm. this. There are professionals that have hopefully been trained by top institutions, universities, and have degrees and have some understanding of underlying systems. So you put your trust in these systems because of the pre-existing trust mm-hmm. you have in other institutions. With crypto, all has all that has to go away because there are no central trust parties in the space. What the trust has to be now into the code. You Mm. have to trust the code. You have to trust the code that it's been implemented in a way that should be. It's executing in a way it should be. It's secure that nobody's going to hack it and therefore um, uh, impose some kind of malicious activities in the network. You have to trust the developers because there's still in terms of the number of people who actually develop these technologies, it's a relatively small group, relatively tight group of And are they anonymous as well? What is it? Are they anonymous? Some of them, some of them not. Um, uh, Part of the whole sort of idea that you could uh, be anyone (laughs) is Mm -hmm. to be anonymous in the system, but not necessarily. And I think it's irrelevant to some extent, right? Mm -hmm. If it's a good developer, it's a good developer. The uh, trust here is through reputation, right? Developer reputation, other developers commenting, and now becomes this sort of community thing rather than the central party thing. And that's the point of decentralization as well. But yes, the trust is now shifted and that's uh, one of the challenges because not everybody are ready to trust any any computers nowadays. And you talked about security. Can you explain a little bit more the, the... realm of blockchain that makes it so secure? Right. So um, one of the things that blockchains in terms of transactions solve is this uh, sort of a central ledger, right? The problem with digital assets in general is that you could easily copy them. Okay. And to copy them, that means that you definitely need somebody verifying that if you send this digits, this 010101, that unique set of digits to someone um, into their account, that you cannot reuse the same set of digits. So for that, you do need a ledger. And for that, you do need somebody or somewhere you could track uh, of this digital assets because in the physical space, I give you my dollar. I no longer have that physical dollar. You do. So the ledger is necessary in this, regardless whether it's centralized or decentralized. Now, the problem with the ledger, even if it's decentralized, like it is in blockchain, is somebody can go in there and still rewrite or overwrite the existing records. If it's a centralized system, it becomes much easier because you really need to 
uh, hack into a single party in single machine, perhaps in single centralized location where you have decentralization, all of a sudden breaking and changing the records becomes much more difficult because you need to then compromise 50, more than 50% of machines. And the bigger the network, the harder it's going to be to really change the records. So that's partially the security comes from decentralization. The other part of security comes from uh, verifying the box. So if I have enough resources, for example, if I have monetary resources, electricity, computers, then in fact, I could compromise 50% of the network. So what makes it difficult for me still to overwrite anything on the ledger? And that's where other part of the security, that's where the crypto part, cryptology is math, uh, basically, uh, that prevents you to rewrite uh, some of the existing information. Um, and therefore, the layer of security here is also comes from crypto. So to verify each block, you need to do this mathematical, complex mathematical calculation, which is a one-way calculation, a hash function. And in that sense, you will have to spend a lot of resources mm. if you want to maliciously uh, compromise that process. So, so it's really not worth it for someone. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost worth it, right? It's an economic benefit, but it makes it very, very expensive mm -hmm. and very, very difficult for somebody who wants to compromise. And that's the security part. And the bigger the network, right? The more time it will take somebody to do this mathematical calculation, the more secure your network is. So blockchain really is built on that um, mechanism to secure the ledger. That makes a lot of sense. And that makes me a lot more comfortable with <laughs> like you said. Um, I want to wrap up with you've written some pieces, you've done some research. What is the most interesting thing that you found or what are you currently looking at in the crypto space? What are you excited for? So I'm really excited for the potential of uh, blockchain technology change financial systems. So I'm really looking closely in what we call DeFi, decentralized finance, and all the current uh, platforms, all the current products uh, that are coming out there. And um, really interesting conversation in that space in terms of both uh, coming from finance field as well as uh, lingering in terms of technology. Um, the possibility of having something that really is ground zero, really rebuilding things, um, that just in itself is exciting for me. Um, so really looking forward to see where that field really grows into. And then when if it fails, if crypto dies, if crypto really doesn't take off, which I really don't think it will, um, I think we we'll learn a lot of mm -hmm. things from it. We we'll learned, first of all, and at least highlight some of the deficiencies of the existing systems. We really learn the other side and what is possible. And perhaps we haven't solved everything in terms of technical um, solutions. Uh, it is possible and that's exciting. 
Yeah, that is. And this this really makes me like leave here with a little a little gusto going into <laughs> going into what I read next, because like we both mentioned, this is very present, very emerging. And I'm so, so glad and thankful that you were really able to come on here and break down in terms that I can understand. Maybe my dad will be able to, able to understand who knows on that one. But what this is, how we can all be involved and where it's going. So thank you so much for coming on. I was so excited you could join me. I'm so happy to be here and so happy to see my past students doing amazing.